0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Talking about poor excuses for not being here last Sunday, I was a, I was best man on a stag do. And... Uh, I decided to organise something called Mini Moto. And Mini Moto are 19-inch motorbikes. And so, uh, me and 15 other lads, when we saw these motorbikes, we were petrified. And, and I was expecting half of them, because all of them are lads' lads, to be like, oh, I could do this. I'm brilliant at this. But all of us were bricking it. And anyway, after three laps like this... Uh, I come tumbling over my handlebars and, uh, and I landed straight on my hand and I ended up in hospital and, and there's no x-ray machines at this, this place in Chippenham but uh, I came back with a swollen hand and when you go to hospital and you come back with a swollen hand in front of 16 men didn't win me many man points So anyway, we're back, and today we're looking at being a people of sacrifice. And it's been amazing about the the worship songs that we've been singing today, but also the words that have been brought about sacrifice, about Jesus shedding his blood for us. Now, sacrifice by definition is offering or giving up something as an act of worship. (laughs) Sacrifice is worship. In the Bible, the word sacrifice can be translated as worship this is helpful because what we make the greatest sacrifices for really is what we truly worship see worship is not connected to a time or a place, it doesn't start and stop, in fact everyone here is a worshipper your sacrifices truly reveal what you worship if we eat and drink to excess we are worshipping our stomachs and sacrificing our health If we worship our relationships with each other, we're sacrificing our intimacy with God. If we worship sex, we're sacrificing intimacy with God and our spouse. Now there's no greater sign at the moment of people worshipping than the Euros being on. Now, uh, I am one of these people, so I'm not condemning these people because I know that I am one of these people. (laughs) But hundreds of thousands of people are making sacrifices to football, to worship football this summer. With their money, buying a ticket, the travel, buying a shirt. In time, on the football forums, checking BBC's website with their friends discussing it. With their voices, when they go to the games, they shout and they scream and they worship and idolize these group of players. There's loyalty, there's passion, there's zeal for something that will only fail you and let you down. And have you noticed that when there's an England game on, uh, ladies you might love this, but when there's an England game on, it's like the country shuts down. You go out onto the streets and there's no cars there. must be ideal to go and shop or go for it to a restaurant or something. But the country completely shuts down because we worship in this country football. So, what are we sacrificing? What are we worshipping? As we said, everyone is a worshipper, everyone makes sacrifices to something. To understand how we are to model sacrifice, we need to have a look at Scripture to see what it says about sacrifice. We were at a wedding. Uh, a few months ago now and our, and our friends were getting married and as a present the vicar decided to give them a bible and they don't love Jesus and so they looked at each other and said oh, pretty sure this wasn't on the John Lewis gift list <laughs> and uh, I asked them a couple of weeks later I said, so, so how's the, the bible reading going expecting her to say I oh, well, weren't really keen on it and she said oh, I've been reading this old testament and so I've got a couple of questions What's with all the killing of the animals? What's with the slaughter, the gore, the mayhem, the blood? And it's a good question, isn't it? Because in isolation, none of these make sense. Killing of animals, the slaughtering of people, the blood. It doesn't make sense. But we can only see how it makes sense in the grand narrative of the whole Bible and its fulfillment in Jesus. So who here loves blood? When it's in your body. Who here meditates. On passages of gore. And mayhem. And blood and sacrifice. And holds it in their hearts. Who uses it as words of encouragement. When you're feeling low. Or when your friend is down. No one. Why? Because blood brings up images of death. Pain. Suffering. It's Saturday evening you just had your dinner, the telly's on, and you're watching Casualty. And you see all these uh, horrific instances that happen, all the blood that pours out. Or maybe you're one of these people that watches those weird operation programs on telly, where all the blood is just pouring out everywhere. Or maybe you watch the news and you're horrified by the blood that you see there. Because when you're watching these things, the sight of blood is shocking, disturbing and troubling. But in the Old Testament, there's 362 references to blood. And in the New Testament, there's 92 references to blood. Because the Bible addresses the things that no one else wants to. Because it associates the shedding of blood with sin. And as you're horrified by the shedding of blood, so we must be horrified by our own sin see in the beginning God wanted to be in relationship with us in community with us but because of sin we are separated from God and because God is holy and just and we are imperfect he cannot have a relationship with us and because of the penalty of sin is death and the symbolism of death is the shedding of blood when we think of death the Bible is pointing us to God's God's holiness and his shedding of blood. But how do we miss the mark? By nature, we miss the mark. In Ephesians 2, it says, By nature, we are objects of God's wrath. We were born objects of God's wrath. Because what we all have in common is rebellion. Rebellion against God. We choose the creation over its creator. We want God's stuff, but we don't really want him. We choose to make sacrifices to his creation, all the good things that he has for us, without worshipping the creator. Secondly, we live as though the Bible doesn't bear any weight on our lives. I live my life like there's a Tim Wilson appendices at the back which excuses me from the life I should be living. Thirdly, we fail to acknowledge him. Bob earlier brought um, about how some people are just physically wired and intrinsically able to do things that we can't. In Psalm 139, it says that we are knitted together by God. So we're physically wired and then we're given all the other things that make you special. Some of you are fantastic uh, intellects. I was chatting to Philippa earlier and how incredible she's done at university some of you were just born that way there's nothing that you can do about it and we honestly hate you for it (laughs) some of us are athletes some of us have been wired that no matter how anyone else trains at something they just won't be as good as others the thing is that we build our identity in these things and don't give the worship and the glory to God that he deserves. For so example, at university, and many of you know that oh, I can take or leave football, but my identity at university was being this footballer. Is that I played for the university team, appeared in the newspaper, a little bit of a man about campus, and I honestly loved it. Because people would recognise you, people on your team would come up to you on their drunken nights out and just be, Tim, honestly, you're the best. And I'd go, I'd go on these nights out to hear it. And I'd be like, no, 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 I'm not. No, you are, Tim. All right And my identity would be built in what poor people thought of me and my ability. But I'd done nothing to earn that, nothing to deserve that. And instead of giving God the glory for it, I was taking it for myself. So where do we see biblical sacrifice? The first is in Genesis 3. The first sacrifice was done by God after Adam and Eve sinned. He killed an animal and then covered them in animal skin, covering their sin and shame. Abel, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, all slaughtered animals as a sacrifice for sin. There's another sacrifice as well in the Old Testament. Abraham was promised a son. His wife was barren and by miracle of God, she became pregnant in her old age. Uh, in Kenya, there was the guy that we were, we were staying with. He was 50-odd and his dad was 72, And his dad had just fathered another child. 72. Just retire. (laughs) Just enjoy it. Enjoy your bus pass. Just enjoy it. But when Isaac was in his 20s, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. In faith, Abraham took him up a mountain. And as he was about to draw down with the knife, God said, stop. Don't do it. I'm going to create a sacrifice and it's going to look a little bit like this. It'll be a beloved son born in a miraculous way, like Isaac. It'll be eagerly anticipated in many ways, like Isaac. He'll carry his own wood, like Isaac did. And he'll also willingly lay down his life. So the sacrifice we see from Abraham and Isaac is the foreshadowing of the sacrifice that God the Father God the Son was going to make. And then we have the Passover in Exodus. God's people were in slavery for 400 years to Pharaoh. But God said, if you slaughter an animal, if blood is shed, and if you go outside your home and cover your door with blood, and I see that you trust me, that you acknowledge your Son, that you're prepared to deal with your Son, your sin, then I will pass over you but anyone who doesn't do that who doesn't trust in me who doesn't acknowledge their sin I will go into their house and kill the firstborn of their, in their home see for Old Testament Jews the blood was atonement for their sin their animals were their prized possession they loved them they cherished them they probably give them nicknames the kids probably played with them again in Kenya I saw the killing of a goat This sacrifice happen it was probably horrific to watch but it was their best goat it was their prized possession and they were bringing it before God as a sacrifice so what would that look like today in our church bringing in through the door your prized possession as a sacrifice for God what would it be? Thurkle's high-vis jacket or Martin, your car golf clubs (laughs) and they'd lay their hands on these things and they'd be naming the sin that they did as they were watching their prized possession being destroyed and they'd walk away feeling that complete weight of sin that the animal didn't deserve that I did but there was a problem with this old covenant the first one was that it didn't forgive sin it dealt with it but it wasn't sufficient God wasn't happy with it second problem is that it highlighted outward expressions of love to God but no inward devotion to him in Hosea 6.6 6, it says I desire mercy not sacrifice an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings because people would be bringing these sacrifices crying out to God naming their sin expressing worship but still not love God and that can happen in the church today you can come along you're welcome you can sing the right songs you can raise your hands you can buy a Bible, you can read a Bible, you can pray. You can wear a checkered shirt. Seems to be in for Christians at the moment. But ultimately, unless you have a transformed heart, you don't love Jesus. It makes no difference. And thirdly, the old covenant was to prepare people for the new covenant. It was sufficient. If it was sufficient, there'd be no need for Jesus. And Hebrews 8, 7 says, But the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant, of which he is the mediator, is superior to the old one, and is founded on a better promise. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. So what about this, Jesus? In Luke we see Jesus sitting down with his disciples, with his best mates. And it's the Passover, the Last Supper. And he's there and he says, This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, that will be shed for your sins. And this is the first time that this had ever been said. Because what Jesus was saying was, all the blood that had been shed in the Old Testament, all of that sacrifice was in preparation and anticipation for me coming today for my blood for your sins. Shortly after that, where did Jesus go? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did he do? He prayed and literally sweated blood. He was arrested, beaten, whipped, crucified, thorns in his head, nails in his hands, his feet sword in his side, at the foot of the cross a pool of blood. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before that Jesus on the cross would be so disfigured you would not even recognize him. And as Owen said earlier, his final words were, Father forgive them, it is finished. He had completed what he was sent to do. So why aren't we slaughtering goats today? because Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice Owen said earlier about that great transaction and Martin Luther calls it the great exchange his perfection for my imperfection his obedience for my disobedience his blessing for my curse his life for my death in 1 Peter it says that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ by the blood of Christ and his sacrifice. Not redeemed by me. Not redeemed by anything that I could possibly conjure or do. But redeemed by that precious blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And when we look at the sacrifice of Jesus, we need to see two things. How horrific our sin is but how incredible is God's love and affection for us so what's our response what's our sacrifice that we need to make I take us to Luke 14 25 to 27 says now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes and even his own life he cannot be my disciple whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple in Mark 8 34 if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me because salvation costs us nothing Jesus did it he paid for it. He bought it. It's free. It's by Jesus' grace that I am saved. Cost me nothing. But discipleship will cost us everything. Salvation occurs in a moment, but discipleship takes a lifetime. Salvation is something that God has done in you for you. Discipleship is something we do together with God. Sadly, many preach a life of that decision and never take into account the cost of discipleship. And so, in the church, we get people who are disillusioned with Jesus when hard times hit, rather than get a devotion to Jesus. Jesus isn't a salesman. He's not trying to market anyone, sell anyone, con anyone in any way. He wants to be absolutely, brutally honest with us about what it truly means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who loves Jesus, obeys Jesus, worships Jesus, follows Jesus, serves Jesus. Yes, you believe Jesus, but it's more than that. A disciple is more than that. He says something quite shocking. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, it's even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. No one teaches about love more than Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross, as we were singing about earlier, was the greatest act of love. So, when we're looking at this passage, and Jesus used the word hate, what he's saying is, you cannot be devoted to any person or anything above me. What in the world is Jesus talking about? He's saying that in a relationship with him needs to be altogether different to any other relationship that you have. He needs to be our priority. He needs to be top of the food chain. Practically, what this means is that sometimes we face relational pressures as a disciple to quit devoting our lives to Jesus. You may have heard it. Why are you going to church? Can't you stop reading your Bible? Stop telling our children about Jesus. You might be in the workplace. Quit talking about Jesus. You see, we face all these relational pressures all the time. And if Christ isn't our priority, if Christ isn't the top of the food chain, then we will quit on him. And in light of that, you have to make a decision. Who is priority? Because in certain countries and cultures, it is actually a death sentence to consider yourself a follower of Christ. In some Muslim countries, when you, are, uh, when you raise your hands for Jesus, then the family will, will have a funeral on your behalf, even though you are still alive. And some will even kill you as an honor killing and Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow him, we need to expect that. So who is it that we would choose over Jesus? Who is it that we continually choose to worship over Jesus? To be a disciple is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus' friends turned his back on him. Jesus' family thought he was a nutter. People closest to him betrayed him. Peter, Thomas doubted and denied him. But Jesus followed through that. So when we are facing these pressures, he is the perfect person to draw on because he has experienced these things. There's one mission organisation that when you ship missionaries out around the world, they pack all their belongings in a coffin. I'm morbid. That says in a very clear way. I'm going to die. I'm going to go and talk about Jesus until I die. It might be a short while. It might be a long while. But it will happen. And they would write a final farewell letter. To the pastor of their local church. And here's one of the letters that one of the uh, young missionaries wrote to the pastors of her church. said, Dear Pastor, you should be only you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death when God calls there are no regrets I try to share my heart with you as much as possible my heart for the nations I wasn't called to a place I was called to him to obey was my objective to suffer was expected his glory my reward the missionary heart cares more than some think is wise risks more than some think is safe Dreams more than some think is practical. Expects more than some think is possible. I was not called to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you. I love my church family. See, my desire, my prayer for you and for me, is that we have this radical flavor. That we will risk, love, love serve, sacrifice, have joy, have adventure, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. In 1939, there was a guy called Howard Guinness, and he was one of the early pioneers for the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And he wrote a little book about sacrifice and said, Where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death? Who will lose their lives for Christ, flinging them away for love for him? Where are those who will live dangerously? Be reckless in this service. Where are the men of prayer? Where are the men who count God's word of more importance than their daily food? Where are the men who, like Moses, commune with God face to face as a man who speaks with his friend? Where are God's men in this day of God's power? You see, our sacrifice, our costs individually and corporately... Is to live to magnify Christ. Living to magnify Christ comes at a cost. He was crucified because he claimed to be God. This man calls us to follow him. See, sacrifice and suffering on the road to Calvary is not merely just a way of magnifying Christ. It is the means of magnifying Christ. His beauty shines most brightly when he is treasured above everything, above health, wealth and life itself. And when we embrace the joy, the cost of following Christ, his worth will shine in this world. Paul had one passion, to boast in Christ and to count him as Christ crucified. To be a people of sacrifice, we need to live as though our lives show the worth and wonder of Jesus Christ. All other roads are lives wasted. John Piper says this, What a tragic waste when people turn away from the road of love and suffering. All the riches of the glory of God are in Christ on that road. All the sweetest fellowships with Jesus are there. All the treasures of assurance. All the ecstasies of joy. All the clearest sightings of eternity or the humblest affections, the tender acts of forgiving kindness, or the deepest discoveries of God's word, or the earnest prayers, they're all taken up on the Calvary Road where Jesus walks with his people. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. On the road, and this road alone, life is Christ and death is gain. Life on every other road is wasted. So in light of Jesus' life, death, Resurrection, our challenge to be a people of sacrifice is to pick up that cross and follow Him. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk